I'm going to be reading from John chapter 8, verses 39 through 47. If you look in your red pew Bible, it's going to be on page 894. 894. <clears throat> they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would, do, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who, who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You, you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have no father, even God. One father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I cannot of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand and what I say, if it is because you cannot bear me or bear to hear the word, you of your you are of your father the devil, and you and your will is to do your father's desires. He is a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and father of lies. But because of truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17 tell us that all scripture is inspired by God. That doesn't leave anything out. Every single scripture comes from God's word, from God's mouth, from his ideas, from his, it's God breathed as it is uh, literally translated sometimes. So as you think about everything that is within the scriptures, within the pages of scriptures, it is good for us to recognize that there's not, nothing that should be left out of that idea in our mind, that everything within the pages of scriptures has something that we can learn from it. You think about Romans chapter 15 and verse number four, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now certainly not every single thing in scripture is applicable to us in the sense that it was directly written to us or about the age in which we live. But that does not mean that there are not things that can be learned from those portions of scriptures that are from other uh, dispensations or other uh, ages in which uh, God spoke to and, and dealt with his people. And as we think about whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that even includes the character, the individual in scripture that is Satan, that is the devil. I want us to first establish some facts this evening about Satan. 
As you saw on the screen, our title for the lesson this evening is, Are You of Your Father, the Devil? Are you of your father, the devil? What, what is it about Satan that we know from scripture? There's a lot of conjecture. There are a lot of things that we don't know about him. And there are certainly things that we'd like to ask when we get to heaven someday about the circumstances surrounding him. But here are at least three things that we can really put our finger on from scripture that are very important for us to notice about Satan. Number one, Satan is not deity. He is not God. He is not all-powerful. He can not be limited. That is, deity cannot be limited as Satan was. And so Satan, therefore, is limited in the sense that he is not able to do the things that God is able to do. In Job chapter 1, verse number 12, as, as well as Job chapter 2, and verse number 6, God gives permission to Satan to do certain things, and he limits him in what he's able to do in his, in his interactions with Job. He says, you can touch all the things that Job possesses, the things that he has, but you may not touch the man or take his life from him, that is to say. And so we need to first recognize that Satan is not deity. There are some other implications from scripture that we can look to and, and realize about him. And this points to the idea that he is not God, that he is not deity. Number one, his power, as we said, was limited. His power to afflict Job was limited. But not only that, any authority he has has been delivered or given to him. We'll talk more about this here in just a little bit from Luke chapter four in, in Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. So his power to afflict was limited. Any authority he has is delivered to him. Number three, he had to ask for the apostles. If you recall, Jesus is talking to Peter in Luke chapter 22, and he tells him that Satan has asked for him that he might sift him as wheat. The implication is he didn't have Peter. That is, in order for Satan to have any uh, authority or any domain over Peter in any way or any interaction in that sense, there had to be granted from God. Also, as you think about John chapter 10, verse number 28, he can snatch no one from the Lord's hand. He can snatch no one from the Lord's hand. The implication here, when we think about Satan not being deity, is that he cannot take from God what God possesses and what God does not relinquish. God being all-powerful, Satan being limited. Two more things. When you think about Satan, in James chapter 4, verse number 7, we are told that when we resist him, he flees from us. When we resist him, he flees from us. Deity, that which is omnipotent, God, cannot be resisted. God would not flee. God would not be able to be resisted as Satan is able to be resisted. And again, therefore, he is limited. And finally, as we think about Revelation chapter 20, if you studied with us a few quarters ago, a couple quarters ago in the book of Revelation, when he is cast into hell, he will be powerless to resist it. If he is God, if he is all-powerful, if he is another God other than our supreme God, then he would be able to resist him, but he's not going to be able to. And so first consider that Satan is not deity. You know, sometimes we give Satan too much authority in our lives. And, and we'll talk more about that more in just a minute, but not just in the sense that we follow after him and do the things that he might want us to do, but we have in our minds and we have this idea in our minds that Satan can do more to us and do more in our lives than he really can do. He's not God. And we need to recognize that. But secondly, consider that Satan was created. 
Satan was created. We say that because all that is not deity is created. Anything that is self-existent, as God is, would be deity. But Satan is not self-existent. Satan is and was created. And so those things that are both inside and outside the earth, okay, that being which Satan would be a, a part of that classification, he is outside of this realm in a, in a literal sense, though he has an influence and though at times he had manifestations in the literal sense here in this world, he is not uh, necessarily part of this world as you and I might think of ourselves being part of this world. And so as such, he is created as someone who is not deity. That begs the question, something to think about. Satan was at one point good, but fell. We know this because as Genesis chapter one, verse number 31 tells us that everything that God made was good. If God were to make something that was evil, if God were to make something that was not good, he would in essence also have uh, some sort of, uh, of uh, connection to that evil. He would be responsible for that evil. Now you see here, the last line on the screen says, Satan was possibly an angel that fell. We don't know this for certain that Satan was that, but if you turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 4, we would see that at least some angels would fall into this category. Was Satan one of those? Again, we don't know. Many believe this, and there are some other scriptures that might indicate that this is a possibility. But notice 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And he goes on and continues on, but the point there in verse number four is there were at some point some angels that sinned and God did not spare them but rather cast them down to hell and deliver them into the chains of darkness. Was Satan one of those? Possibly. Does not implicate God in being the fact that he was responsible for Satan being evil. Rather that he, when he created him, he was good. He was given the opportunity, the choice to make a decision for his own life like you and I are given the opportunity to make the choice for our own life and as such have free will. The million dollar question, a question that we may wonder about is, what led to Satan's fall? What led to his fall into rebellion against God? And again, this might be a question that we would ask perhaps one day when we get to heaven, maybe God would allow us to ask that question. But I would submit to you that Satan was prey and fell prey to the same disease that was found in, in Judges chapter 17 and verse number six. That there was no king in Israel in that day, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Satan elevated himself. He elevated himself in the sense that he manifested pride. He showed pride about his own being. He elevated, he exalted himself about, above that which he ought to have done. And so we might say it in another way, in the most fundamental of ways, Satan is who he is because he wanted to be his own God. We said that those in Israel, there was no king in Israel that day, that every man did that which was right in their own eyes. The idea is they wanted to be their own God. They wanted to be responsible for their own choices. They wanted to have the leeway in their own lives for what they wanted to be able to do with their lives. 
And so as we said, Satan falls prey and fell prey perhaps to that exact same issue that he did not want God to have authority. Turn back in your Bibles if you open them in your scripture reading to John chapter number eight. We won't take the time to dig deeply into all of this text here, but notice especially verse number 44. John chapter eight, verse number 44. As we said, simply put, Satan is who he is because he wanted to be his own God. And as his own God, he wanted at least two things. Two things that we can draw out from verse number 44. He wanted, number one, to heed his own desires. To heed his own desires. Notice the first phrase here in verse number 44. As he speak, as Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. This implies that his desires, that is Satan's desires, are different than God's desires. Anyone that wants to be submissive to the Lord wants to align their desires to the desires of God. But Satan did not want to do that. He wanted to heed his own desires. But then secondly, as we continue reading, he wanted also to be his own authority. He wanted to be his own authority. Notice, continuing reading verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. There is no truth in him. If we were to turn a few more pages to John chapter 17 and verse number 17, we would see that Jesus said that the word of God, thy word is truth. Satan wanted to be absent of and devoid of truth and is devoid of truth. As such, he is devoid of and absent from and disconnected from the words of God. The words of God are are our authority. That is where we derive any direction for our life, any purpose and understanding for what we're to be doing with our life. And if Satan has no truth within him, he did not want to submit to the truth of God, did not want to submit to his words, did not want to submit to his commands. And as a result, (coughs) he wanted to be his own authority. As you look at that verse, there's an interesting allegation made in the verses preceding it by Jesus of these individuals. He said, you are of your father, the devil. You are of your father, the devil. The question that we must consider tonight is how can I identify if I am living in a way where I have chosen the devil as my father and not God? How can I identify that? How can I know if I'm living in a way that's contrary to the word of God and not just contrary to the word of God, but one that's saying, I pledge my allegiance to Satan. I pledge my allegiance to the idea or the mindset that says, or the heart that says, I want to be my own authority. I want to heed my own desires. Normally at Peach Valley, our session, we call it AIM camp. And the reason we call it AIM camp is because we want to take AIM to have a heart like Jesus. Tonight, let's consider at least four areas in which Satan and his heart is who we ought not to be aiming at. Normally, we're aiming to have a heart like Jesus. Let's aim to not have a heart like Satan. The heart of Satan was or is one of envy. That is to say, I want. A heart that ignores what it has and desires what it does not. A heart that ignores what it has and desires what it does not. Let's explore this a little bit more. A heart of envy. Consider what Satan had. Turn with me very quickly to to Jude, verse number six. The book just before Revelation, as we sang in our kids sing earlier this evening. Jude and Revelation. Look at Jude, verse number six. And the angels... 
who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Have you ever considered what Satan had? If he was this fallen angel, whatever he was, at some point he was good, he had a relationship with God, he had the best home. <clears throat> he had the best home. He had this home in heaven if he was that angel. Not only did he have the best home, he had the best relationship. He had a relationship with God. If he was this angel, as we'll talk about being some sort of messenger, someone that does the bidding of God, he had a relationship with the Father in that sense. And yet he did not recognize what he had. He had an honorable reputation. He gave that up when he decided to heed his own desires, when he decided to want to be his own authority. He had a home in heaven, a relationship with God, an honorable reputation, but notice what he wanted instead. What Satan wanted, if you look in your Bibles, we referenced a second ago that we'd turn here and look at the temptation of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter four. <coughs> Luke chapter number four. As you turn there, I want you to see some interesting things. We all always point out that Jesus quotes scripture back to Satan, and rightfully so, but I want you to notice some things that Satan was attracted by in this particular text. Luke chapter four, look at verse number six. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you. All this authority I will give to you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. As we said, Satan wanted to be his own authority and something about this authority was attractive to the point that he thought it might be attractive to Jesus as though he didn't already have all authority. But, you know, sometimes we try to lure other people into certain things that we are attracted to as well. And Satan, again, being attracted by this concept of, of authority also tries to tempt Jesus with that same thing. Consider in verse number seven, what Satan wanted, we might also say was honor. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Satan desired, Satan was interested in not only the authority that might be at his disposal, but also the honor that he might receive, desiring that God would even worship, Jesus would even worship him. And then finally notice in verses nine through 12, we might say that Satan also wanted power. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in, it their hands they, and in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan wanted authority. Satan desired honor. Satan was attracted by the idea of having power over Jesus, that he would command him or expect him to do something and that Jesus would then follow suit. He had a heart of envy. I want these things. Satan had all of the best things he could ever desire. He had a heart that ignored what it had and desired what it didn't. Consider next the heart of Satan. Not only was it a heart of envy, but also a heart of entitlement. That is to say, I deserve. We live in an entitlement society, don't we? Where everybody feels as though they are entitled to everything that they could ever want or ever desire, that they, they assume that it's owed to them. 
And Satan, no less, has that as well. A heart that is frustrated by the blessings of others and seeks to destroy, seeks to do whatever he can to get to those blessings and have them for himself. Explore this a little bit more. If Satan was an angel, as we mentioned earlier, that idea of of being an angel is a messenger. You know what the root meaning of the word angel is, being a messenger? It means to be someone who is someone else's, uh, does someone else's bidding. One who is sent on the behalf of someone else. Satan didn't want to live for God's glory. Satan didn't want to live for the benefit of God. He wanted to live for his own benefit, for his own glory. And as such, Satan sought to destroy what God had in Adam and Eve. God had in Adam and Eve a special creation, the pinnacle of his creation. Satan sought to destroy that. Satan wanted to take that from him. Satan wanted to have them follow the ideas that Satan was following. That is to be your own authority. What does he tempt them with? You shall be like God. You shall be like God. It's the whole point of our sermon tonight that that this idea that Satan is wanting to be his own God in a way, that he wants to have his own authority, he wants to, to heed his own desires, and he strives to tempt Adam and Eve with that very same idea, and he seeks to destroy them in the process so that God would not also have that. But not only that, he sought to destroy what God had in Job, a faithful servant Satan was envious of this and felt that he was entitled also to maybe having some servants of his own. And it seems as we read from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, that maybe there were some that went away with him as well and are also his servants to this very day. Satan desired what God had in his faithful servant Job. And he still seeks to destroy today what God has in the gospel. If you'll notice in the parable of the sower, The seed is the word of God, and when it is cast on the wayside, before it has a chance to plant root, Satan comes and snatches it up, lest they believe. Satan seeks to destroy what God has in the gospel. He has a heart of entitlement. He thinks it belongs to me. He doesn't want anyone else to enjoy those blessings. Consider next the heart of Satan. Not only a heart of envy or heart of entitlement, but a heart of duplicity. A heart of duplicity says, I will get it no matter what. A heart that deceives others to get what it wants. You would turn in your Bibles back to Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter eight, where we were just a moment ago and thinking about our scripture that the truth is not in him. He does not stand in the truth. He speaks out of his own character, his own volition. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 14 tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. John chapter 8, verse 44, he changes the truth as the one who is the father of lies. The father of lies. We might also remind ourselves that he is full of trickery, snares, devices. It's really scary sometimes to see what we as parents create out of our children. And I say that because Jackson has become this little person who just wants to fish all the time, go fishing all the time. To the point where he literally is asking me just about every single day, when are we going fishing next? And you think about fishing, what we're doing is we're trying to deceive that fish, right? We're trying to fake him out. We're trying to, to feign that this is really a true bait fish that's swimming through the water. And you're trying to get that fish to reach out and grab a hold of it. That's the idea here. Satan's trickery, 
his snares, his devices. He has a heart of duplicity that says, I will get what I want and I will get it no matter what it takes. No matter what it takes. Why does he do this? Perhaps for no other reason than so that he can get what he wants. Because that's what Satan's all about. I want to be my own God. I want what I want and I want to get it however I can get it no matter what it takes. So we said, we go back to the garden. Satan lied in the garden. He tricked Adam and Eve in the garden. He, he planted a snare. He used his devices in order so that they might fall into the, his trap to believe that you could be your own God and things work out for you all the better. But as we know, as we see from Satan's fruit, that things that work, they don't work out for you all the better when you follow after this idea of being your own God. Finally, with regard to the heart of Satan, consider that the heart of Satan is one of stubbornness. It's one of stubbornness. It says, I am right and never wrong. A heart that won't admit when it's wrong and when it's in need. Have you ever known someone else to, to double down whenever they are wrong and you call them on it? That no matter what you say, no matter how logical of an explanation you give to them, they will double down as though they are for certain they are right. My mom would accuse me of that when I was a teenager, that whenever I'd try to argue with her or my brothers, constantly I would find a way to finagle into to making my side the right side. Usually it was about sports and who is the best, which of course is Michael Jordan. And, and there's so many reasons for that, right? The point is we double down even when we're called out, even when we might be wrong. Of course, we don't know the circumstances surrounding Satan's demise as we pointed out nor do we know the, the verdict that God gave him in that sense. But it's interesting to think about. For thousands of years, Satan has continually refused to turn back to God. How many opportunities since his fall has he had the opportunity to, to turn back to God? How many opportunities since creation has he had to say, okay, God, you're right, rather than repent, he buckled down even further in his effort to bruise Christ's heel to the point that he tried and was responsible for and led to the death of Christ. Surely in that moment, maybe he was proud of himself for Jesus and what he'd done to him, thinking he'd actually accomplished something. Yet when Jesus was resurrected and proved that he was conqueror of death and had all power, he still, Satan, did not turn back to God. He continually stubbornly rejected him and does so to this day because he has no respect for the things of God. Satan has no godly sorrow that will produce repentance as 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse number 10 teaches us. Something interesting to think about from Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son, z, sons. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 10 tells us that there is joy in heaven among the angels when one sinner repents. This comes right before the parable of the prodigal son and I can't help but wonder if Jesus has in his mind at some degree that the angels, maybe they're wishing that Satan would repent, that he would turn back how much rejoicing would there be in heaven? Can you imagine the joy of the angels if Satan would have ever repented, if Satan would have ever changed his mind? But he has a heart of stubbornness, one that says, I am right, 
and never wrong. Consider Satan's not the only one throughout scriptures who's wanted to be their own God. We could point out Judas as one who had Satan enter into him, Luke chapter 22, verses three through six. Not that I believe that Satan entered into him and controlled Judas and that Judas had no choice in the matter, but rather that Satan's influence had that influence over him to the point where he did and made the choices that he made. What's Satan's big shtick? What is his whole what is his whole selling point? Be your own God. Perhaps Judas was attracted to the money bag to the point where he thought that if I had just enough money, my problems would be solved. We know that he had that problem for a long time as one who would pilfer from the money bag. So Satan entered into Judas and Judas loved the money bag that much that he would go to his demise over it. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. If Judas loved the money bag, Ananias and Sapphira loved the pat on the back. Because they did give some of the money that they, that they earned off of the selling of the land. They didn't have to give any of that necessarily. But what they were seeking after, what they loved, was the pat on the back and what came along with it. Ananias and Sapphira, they also contrived their dishonest deed in their heart with Satan's influence. Why have you allowed Satan to enter you cause you to lie to the Holy Spirit is asked of them. Consider also Demas, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10. Demas, having loved this present world, forsook Paul. He desired to chase after a life of ease, not a life that would have to endure persecution alongside the side of Paul, but one who enjoyed those things that came along with the things of the world, having loved this present world, he wanted to be his own authority. He wanted to heed his own desires. Consider Diotrephes, 3 John, verses 9 and 10. As one who loved the preeminence. Talk about having authority. Some people have power trips, don't they? Because they love authority, because they love to have power, they fall short in how they ought to be like their God. Diotrephes was like that. He loved the preeminence. He would not receive those who were teachers of the truth. We don't have time to go into exactly all that surrounds and entails the man of sin. But as we close, I want you to turn in with me and look at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, it's interesting to think about this man of sin and his connection to Satan and what he does is a result of the influence of Satan. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse number three. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes, notice verse four, and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Look at verse nine and 10. The coming of the lawless one, this man of sin, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. The concluding question tonight is this, are you acting as one who is trying to be your own God, like the devil is your father? You know, every, ultimately every sin is born of this mindset. We talk about the Disney mindset, don't we? 
the Disney mindset that says, be true to yourself, be who you are, be who you want to be. And though we understand that that could be looked at in a benign way, we see that it has infected and manifested itself throughout all of society. When we see the decisions and the choices that people are making around us, thinking how could they ever think that this is okay? How could they ever think that this is right? It all leads back to this idea of people wanting to be their own God, of people wanting to live unto themselves, of people wanting to heed their own desires and be their own authority. When I choose to use my body in a way that is outside the confines of God's sexual ethic, I am saying that the devil is my father, that I want to be my own God, And you might be thinking, and rightfully so, that the things that come along with the LGBTQ agenda are very much connected to that, and you're right. But it's not just those sexual perversions that are saying, I want to be my own God. It's also husbands that choose not to be faithful to their wives. It's also single men who choose to give in to sexual desires because they want to be their own God. Every sin is born of that mindset. When I choose to speak a falsehood at work in order to get myself further along in my career or my social status, I am saying that the devil is my father, that I want to be my own God. When I choose to participate in some extracurricular activity that is not necessary for me to make some means for my family, when it is time to worship God, if I choose to engage in those things and spend time outside of worship, I'm saying I want to live unto my own self that I want to be my own God, that I don't want to reverence and give respect and honor to my God, that this is my priority. Instead, I say the things outside of this world or outside of this, the the, the assembly of of his worship, those things are more important to me. I want to live unto myself. I want to worship my own desires and heed my own desires and my own authority. This morning, right before Mr. Robert was baptized into Christ, we sang as we were Leaden song, I am mine no more. I am mine no more. I've been bought with blood. Jesus is my Lord. Do we ever say that and not really think about what we really mean, what we should really mean by that? I am not my own God. Jesus is my Lord. I am mine no more. Is that true of you this evening? Are you really living a life that says, I am mine no more, that God is my only one and true God, that I am not living unto myself, that I don't want to heed my own desires and do the things that are contrary to his law, that I want to be my own authority? Are you being that person tonight? If you are, we implore you, we plead with you, we beg with you to make that right. If you're not a Christian, that's your first step to say, I'm mine no more. It's not only about washing away your sins, which is what is taking place there, but also pledging allegiance to say, God, Jesus, he is my Lord. But if you are a Christian, maybe you have fallen away. Maybe you have started to give into this mindset, this desire of the flesh that comes from the devil. Are you of your father, the devil, this evening? If there's anything we can do for you, we ask that you come as together we stand and as we sing. What a friend we have in Jesus.